Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1378, entitled Disco Encanto. Our podcast <laughs> title is Super Potto. I don't know why I call it that, but that's why it is. <laughs> oh, I know why. Uh, I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are. <laughs> oh, it's 2022. Mm, a, a scorcher at the moment. Yes, there's um, weather because it's summer in Australia. And, well, lots of things to talk about today as usual. Mm. Uh, well, I, I think the first thing we're going to discuss is a video game that Megan's been Mm-hmm. occupying her time with productively, yes. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to have a look at a new streaming movie, which is an absolute beaut, nice. and that would be Encanto. So we'll get into those right now. So I guess this is good. We'll start off with the darker end of the spectrum with the game I'm going to discuss and we'll move to the lighter portion of the show. So the game I wanted to talk about, um, I covered a game called Life is Strange True Colors recently. So I've been on a little bit of a a binge with more narrative style games. So I've picked up a game I've had my eye on for a while called Disco Elysium. So Disco Elysium, I wanted to kind of chat about, I wouldn't normally talk about a game until I finished it. And so I have not finished this yet, but I've been enjoying it so much and it's so unique, at least to me and the kinds of games I'm familiar with, that I wanted to kind of introduce it and, uh, you know, have a bit of a chat about it even though I haven't finished it yet. So Disco Elysium, it's developed and published by Zaum, I'm going to say it is, uh, capital Z-A slash U-M, and it is written and designed by Estonian writer Robert Kurvitz. Now, one of the things I realised when I was researching the game is that the world inside Disco Elysium is so well thought out, and that's partially because Kurvitz has written a book set in this same world. He's already had plenty of time to flesh out a bit of the lore and history of it, which has then come to fruition in this game that he's also creative directed as well. So that kind of made sense once I found that out. I was like, oh, he's put a writer's energy into figuring out this game. So the style of the game in general and also the art style is quite gritty. It's got kind of an oil painting style and the artist who's responsible is someone called Alexander Rostov. And so it's a very kind of distinct, blurry, dark style that really fits the vibe of the game as well. So we're very much in a territory of the darker sides of, I guess, humanity. But that being said, it is quite a a funny and tongue-in-cheek game as well, but the art style is very much a darker one. So it's available pretty much now on everything. It originally did come out just for PC and Mac in 2019, and then later, 2021, it came out on all the consoles. So as of now, you can play it on Windows, Mac operating system, PS4 and 5, the Stadia, the Switch, 
Xbox One and the newer Xbox Series X and Series S. Such a mouthful to say those. So pretty much whatever your flavor is in terms of consoles, you can't get on iPad or anything, um, that you'll be able to play that. So that's fantastic. Very widely available now. So the gameplay, I guess to set it up so you kind of even know what to expect, it's based around the mechanics of role-playing games like D&D. So you talk to people and then you complete actions or resolve events or bits of the storyline through skill checks, which if you're not familiar is where you roll die and there are different thresholds of success or failure. Uh, and that can change varying on a different different factors and you might sort of ask questions or do things that will either improve or diminish your likelihood of succeeding in that check. So that's actually a really interesting way to pursue through the game. So there's different dialogue system, like trees that you go through and you navigate those to extract different information from the non-player characters or the NPCs and learn more to like open up different options, storylines, areas, uh, new skill checks might become available or improve your chances. Like I said before, in an existing skill check, you might go back to it and see you've got a couple of percentage more chance of success. So in short, it's not like a fighting or combat game. It's a little detective mystery ah. and it's kind yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Rob's like, where are we going with all this? Yes. Yeah, so it's a, a mystery game. So you're playing as a detective and you're going through this small town, trying to figure out, um, you know, solve a murder basically through these different dialogue options. So it's similar to a point and click mystery, but it's very much, yeah, got that role playing element over top and you can interact with different people and objects. And again, similar to role-playing, I won't go too much into it. There's different skills and different levels that you can start with and then you build on those and level up as it progresses. And, you know, like a lot of games, you just put into different character skills. So like perception or pain and logic and that'll help improve your chances with different kinds of elements of the story that relate to those skills. So there's four main buckets for that and it's intellect, psyche, physique and motivation. motorics I'm not sure how to say that actually but yeah so basically you can put skills into each of these buckets and decide if you want to be more beefy or you want to be smarter but of course there's trade-offs and things like that so and there's clothes and other things that you can wear to enhance skills or diminish skills and you know there's all trade-offs that are made so there's no way you can pour too much into one area you've got to kind of balance that so those are all things you'll be sort of familiar with you'll be used to playing these kinds of games i wanted to know because as soon as you said detective i went ah okay this is this is megan's sort of area of interest (laughs) how did you find this game great question so it was pretty well so it's sort of a little an indie, I guess, quote unquote, you'd say. And, you know, it's come out of Europe as well, but it was very well received, very well rated. And so that naturally meant it fell onto a lot of the game award lists and it was mentioned in a lot of people's top tens, game of the year, so on. So, and because I follow a little bit of, you know, what some of the top games are and pretty much spot on Rob, as soon as I saw Detective Mystery, I was like, oh, let's zoom in on this. And I looked a little bit more into it, but I didn't actually realize about the D&D style role-playing way of playing the game until I had actually got it. I thought it was just a detective kind of point and click. So that was kind of an interesting thing about it, but I'd read up a bit on it and there's a little bit of word of mouth around it. So it did end up being pretty successful. 
I was also wondering, you reviewed a game a while back uh, that was basically set in hell. Yes, Hades. Hades. Yes. Yes. So here you are doing one that's called Elysium. So you've got the, you've got the bookends going here. I know it's very it's kind of interesting that you brought up Hades because I will say while they're very different styles of gameplay, Hades was a kind of a rogue light dungeon crawler. Mm. There are some similarities in they're both very story focused, excellent narratively. So there's great dialogue, and if you get the final cut version of Disco Elysium, um there is voice acting included. And so similar to the voices in Hades, I think are spectacular. The voice acting in this is also spectacular as well and really enhances the story. So similar, it's a good segue actually. The last note on sort of the skills that you can build into, you've got like this internal voice. So your like physiology, like your electrochemistry might talk to you. So it has dialogue as well and it will pipe up and say things like, you should go and get some alcohol because that's going to help you solve this mystery. And so, I mean, sometimes it offers useful dialogue, but it's interesting that there's voices for characters and also your internal kind of internal voices, I guess you could say. It took me a while to realise what was going on there, but uh, it was a very interesting element as well. So a bit about the setting. As I mentioned before, it's in Elysium. It's this kind of imagined post-war world. And there's been plenty of past conflict in the world that you unlock a bit about and there's some current political and cultural turmoil that is pretty apparent at the start of the game and then you scratch away and talk to various different people and they ask you your opinion on things and then you as a character have to decide where you stand on them. So you're in a city called Revachol, which is like a by the sea, and you gradually unlock different areas in this wider district that's called Martinez. So the history and the culture and the setting is very well fleshed out, like I mentioned, which really helped with getting kind of immersed in the game, I thought. So as we mentioned before, it's a mystery game, so you play a detective with the Revachol Citizens Militia, but you're a bit of a mess. So you've got amnesia, you've got a drinking problem, you've got substance abuse problems, so you've got a wide range of things that you're seeking out. So you can go off and buy drugs in the game, and you've also got a murder to solve. So you do have a partner, and now your partner, Kim Kitsuragi, sorry, he's got more of a voice of reason. He's very wry, and he'll kind of trade off with you, and you guys will work together to interrogate different people, and, and he'll kind of pipe up and be like, I don't think that's a reasonable line of questioning or different things like that to help you along a bit. And you can really skew the type of detective you are. So not just with your starting skill statistics. So I went very cerebral and I poured everything into intellect, but I'm very vulnerable physically and my morale is pretty bad. So anything slightly bad happens and I take a morale hit. So I'm very low on the psyche element. So I'm just wandering around this very fragile, smart creature, but I just struggle to stir trouble in games. And so I'm such a goody goody. So immediately I'm trying to make amends and turn my life around in the game, but you can just continue to be a mess if you want. Like you don't have to wear pants in the game. <laughs> you can say incendiary things to everybody. You can go and do a bunch of substances. I mean, there are downsides to taking that route, of course. And I think, you know, that's important to mention too, but part of the fun is you can go and be a bit of a troublemaker. So yes, it's, it's it's quite a unique, you can kind of take many different routes in it, which I thought was a really nice part of it. Some of the influences uh, that have been sort of cited 
for creating Disco Elysium, uh, The Wire, because there's a bit of a working class element to the story, True Detective, The Shield, another video game called Kentucky Route Zero, which I've actually played and didn't couldn't quite get into, and um, detective books like ones by DeShiel Hammett and uh, China Mievel's books as well. So, yeah, so that's kind of a bit of the rundown on the premise Important things to note, I would say, would be it's very gritty and kind of it's a dirty and weird game. And as I mentioned, like, it's clearly not for younger age groups. So the rating for the game is is R18+. There are definitely, there's elements that had it banned in Australia for a long time. So it's inclusion of drug and alcohol and there's some violence that was depicted as well. That's like pretty like full on, I mean game full on, but they're like the murder involves like some lynching and things. And so the classification board, they didn't want to classify it, so you couldn't get it here. But then in 2021, it was received the R18 plus rating because it was seen that, you know, there are um, disincentives to doing the drugs and out, you know. So yeah. it's kind of they they decided that, you know, okay, we'll, we'll release it. So also, in case you couldn't already tell, it's very story heavy even though you're solving a crime. So that is exciting. You're solving this disgusting murder and you have to figure out things. I mean, you're working your way through reams and reams of dialogue. So, you know, there's a big cast of kooky characters and they don't pull any punches with the dialogue. They've got plenty to say. Not all of it's useful, but you are going through big, big bits of dialogue at any point in the game. So the whole point of it is to talk to people. So if you don't like that, then, you know, and I mentioned before the voice acting. So in the final cut version, which is a newer kind of re-release version that came out on, that's what came out on console. And then you could kind of upgrade that for free if you'd gotten it earlier. So the voice acting is included and it is such an, such a wonderful element to the game. So it's really rich and funny. It's quite menacing in some parts and it enriches the whole world. So Again, that means because it is such a dialogue-heavy game, that voice acting, having that there has been such a nice addition. So I, that's the only way I knew the game. I didn't know there was a version without voice acting and um, definitely great, great addition. Would have taken a lot of time as well, so much appreciated. You see, it sounds to me like, okay, you've got the Dungeons and Dragons and you've got the, like, uh, 70s, 80s, whatever, maybe even earlier, detective sort of element mm. in there. So you've got those yeah. two sort of munched together. Is there much, is there more fantasy, i.e. magic, or is there more science fiction or both? It sounds like a mixture. Yeah, so I'd say there's not necessarily as much fantasy. It's much more like a dystopia, but kind of one of the dystopias that feels old, like an older time. And, yeah, I would definitely say that is kind and it's meant to much more be a street level story, I yeah, think. Yeah. So it's it's a created world, but it's meant to draw on lots of themes of you know political unrest and things like that. So it's it's much more of a straightforward real world depiction, but they've had a lot of freedom because they've built the whole mm. um the whole city kind of from scratch. So it's the way the game looks, it's like a top-down style. So you control your character's interactions by telling him to walk to different items or people. You can move around, but if you want to interact, you have to like go, okay, go here and look at that. And it did take me a minute to understand the mechanics, which I think is not great. You need to intuitively know how to do the game. And sometimes it was a little bit janky, but that's a very minor gripe that I had. And like I had to Google like 
how do I interact? Like, <laughs> am I playing this wrong? So I might have missed a tutorial or something there. But, yeah, you're moving your character around and then he's inspecting different things, talking to different people, unlocking different parts of the map. Genre detective is actually quite an interesting category you know i mean you've got everything from straightforward science fiction sort of detectives i'm thinking like maybe altered carbon or uh, mm. first season of the expanse for that matter or and then you get to the fantasy ones where you've got um in, in fiction uh randall garrett's lord darcy who's a, a magical a magician who who can solve crimes as well and it's quite charming because it's it sits alongside all of those other genre detectives like you know the uh, the monk in Brother Cadfall or uh, Father Brown, or you know mm-hmm. they've got all those other many many different types. And here's another legitimate type. I, I quite like yeah. the idea of that. Yeah, I think that's the thing for me. It's always oh, the detective mystery is a real draw in, but outside of that, you can do so much with it. Like in terms of the genre genre skew, world building, all that stuff. And yeah, I I agree. It's a really nice take on it. Overall, it's a really interesting and unique game. So it's going to be different for everyone depending on how you play and what skills you enhance and, you know, the kind of detective that you want to be. I'm I'm a, like a sorry a sorry cop. Sorry to say sorry to everyone. I'm constantly <laughs> apologising. Like this is classic me. Like I said before, I do not stir trouble and I automatically feel feel like I had trouble playing Untitled Goose Game. I was like, I feel bad disturbing all of these nice townsfolk. <laughs> so... But, I mean, if you're less of goody-goody, you'll have quite a bit of fun with this. Um, And if you're familiar with role-playing mechanics, you'll take to it pretty quickly. If you do prefer action over story and dialogue, it might not be for you. But that being said, I wouldn't write it off because there's enough in the setting and I do think the dialogue is really well written. It can be a little bit overwrought I want to say but that's kind of the style of the thing like it's all makes sense to me but you might be like oh this dialogue's a bit much but that's the whole point and so you know it's the game goes rogue enough that you might still enjoy this kind of you know no hope a detective trying to unlock his past to even you know look past the fact it might not be the normal sort of game that you would be interested in I liked the inner monologues from my ner- central nervous system saying you should go get drugs, <laughs> even though I didn't because, as mentioned, I'm a goody-goody, so I didn't do any of that. And, you know, different things like finding a plastic bag is a really core cool part of the early game. <laughs> so I think the thought put into the the setting and mood is is also just part of the draw right away. You've thrown straight in. From the first scene, you're coming across some really feisty characters, let's say, these children that are uh, really draw you into a bit of a battle of the wits. And it's it's such a fun game and I think it's quite, it's quite, it's interesting enough that you want to talk about it as well. So if you know people that have played it, there's plenty to discuss. Megan, I was curious when you were saying at the start that you don't normally review a game until you've finished it. When you say finished, do you mean I'm done with this damn game or do you mean <laughs> I've clocked it and, and won it basically? Yeah, so I think the latter because especially with a game like this where I think there is a definitive point where you can say you have finished the game. And I would say generally with things like this where there's a clear narrative story that they want you to play through and then reach the resolution of, I'd say, okay, I want to reach that because if they cook it at the end, they drop the ball, I want to mention that in my review. 
So I probably, you know, if I do finish this game and say, oh, the ending was super weird, I, I might come back and mention that. But there's enough in it so far that's drawn me in that I was like, oh, people should know about this game, check it out for themselves and so on. So that was probably why. But there are also games that I have started to play and then gotten sick of. And that's, I probably wouldn't even mention them then. But yes, it's, if I've had a chance to play through the whole story they want me to see, I usually try to do that first. So that would be my take on it. I think some people, it might not be for them, but if all the things I've mentioned sound appealing, definitely check it out. Like narrative, gritty setting, detective mystery, kind of a bit, you know, off the rails. Uh, yeah, Disco Elysium, you can get it pretty much on any platform that you like. <laughs> so check it out. Get the Final Cut version with the voices. But obviously you don't even have to listen to the voices if you don't want. But I will say the music is worth listening to, so definitely don't turn the sound down. So the music in the game is by a band called Sea Power. So they're a British alternative rock band. They're also known as British Sea Power. Um, and I'm going to play a track that's kind of a key piece of the background music, and so you'll recognise it if you've spent some time in Revachol yourself uh, and played Disco Elysium before. So this is a track called Whirling in Rags 8am, and so I thought you might like to have a little bit of a vibe of what it's like to wander around as your detective character inside the game. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. That was Sea Power with Whirling in Rags 8am and that's from the soundtrack to the game Disco Elysium which I just covered and highly recommend checking out although obviously content warning as well. So yeah. It, it had a very um, pussycat uh, meow sort of strain to it that bit of music. I will say I mean it's an interesting choice for music in the game but I found myself actually quite liking it because you'd think it'd be much more of a kind of maybe a droney or darker but it's quite it's quite whimsical but yeah there you go. it's a whole thing in itself game music you know I mean mm. trillion dollar industry aside the the first time I saw a game soundtrack on CD standalone I thought goodness me this is this mm. is a whole thing it is it is now, speaking of whole things or whole things, I've been quite enchanted in the last decade or so by a, a couple of animated fantasy movie musicals that rely upon and integrate Latino-derived folklore, culture, music mm-hmm. and dance into their stories. And, you know, I just like this whole celebration of different identities and representations that we've been seeing in movies lately. Uh, you know, we, we just loved... Um, uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And, yep. you know, it's just, it's great. Uh, which is to say, in this case, um, Jorge uh, Guterres's 2014 film, The Book of Life, and Lee Unkrich and Adrian Molina's movie Coco from 2017. Mm-hmm. And both of those, by the way, revolved around the Mexican holiday Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. Now, mm-hmm. the first was a, a 20th Century Fox animation and real FX animation studios production, and the second was out of Pixar. And mm-hmm. now continuing in this cheerfully over-the-top mini-genre is Walt Disney Animation Studios' new production, Encanto, which has a somewhat complex worldwide cinema run in these challenging times and is now available to stream on Disney+, Plus, which is where I saw it. And my goodness, did it give my television's... Colour contrast, a workout. 
<laughs> Vibrant. Oh, uh, explosion in a flower shop is kind of the current term for it. Now, Encanto, the 60th Disney Studios animated movie, was directed by Jared Bush and Byron P. Howard and Sharice Castro-Smith. Now, Bush is known for working as co-director and or writer of the animated movies Zootopia back in 2016 Mm -hmm. and Moana again, uh, as well as for creating the animated series Pen Zero Part-Time Hero. In, in addition to some of those, Byron Howard worked on Disney animations as well, mm-hmm. uh, like Tangled and Bolt and Milan and Big Hero 6 and Frozen, you know, all the touchstones. Classics. Yeah. And Castro Smith also worked on a couple of those and is an accomplished playwright and worked on the recent Exorcist television series and The Haunting of Hill House as well. Ooh. And she has a lot of acting credits in her wide-ranging resume. So a lot of cross-pollination of talent there. And Bush and Smith wrote the screenplay for Encanto. Now, Hamilton and In the Heights powerhouse Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the songs for the movie. Well, he is a fantastic songwriter who does dabble in animation soundtracks, doesn't he? He dabbles in everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Renaissance man. Following up on his work for Disney's Moana in the medium, so he's got some creds on animation, songing, singing, as well as scoring, I should say. Anyway, um, now, there are some other people involved in this too in terms of the, the music. So it's not just the songs. I think there's like about eight songs as well. But um, there's a, a, a composer as well, Jermaine Franco, who has got the, the rest of the music in there, which is all good too. But it's uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's songs, which are beating up the charts everywhere, um, they've gone viral, children are singing, you know, the songs back to their poor parents. <laughs> it's it's everywhere. And, and, of course, all of this passed me by completely. Me too. Until I saw it on the, on the streaming menu and I thought, you know what, I've enjoyed these other movies. This looks like fun. Yeah. And there are times when you just desperately need that. You want to, you know, you want to whack the piñata of your soul and get candy out of it just, <laughs> just to enjoy. And that's what I did with this movie. Now, Encanto is uh, a word that signifies charm, glamour, spells, delight, mm-hmm. or joy. So I kind of just took in my head, I just shortcutted it as enchanting. Mm. <laughs> and I was enchanted by this movie. Uh, another pair of people who should really be mentioned right up the start of this as the creatives uh, Jamal Sims and Kay Martinez, who are basically responsible for the choreography and providing animation references for it. And they actually were in there right from the start. Now, this is different from the way it's normally done. So they got uh, Miranda's uh, songs and they worked on the choreography for that. And for each of the different characters, they came up with a slightly different dance style. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that the dance is really intimately integrated into the animation and I feel their work in this is exceptional. And, you know, if you're going to watch a, a, a musical, that is also a dance movie and let's face it, there aren't too many that aren't. There are yeah. some, but then, you know, that's an opera. <laughs> so this one is the one. And you'll come out of this humming the songs 
Nice. Even if you don't know all the words, uh, <laughs> it's all there. Now, Jamal Sims has worked before on a whole bunch of things, but you may know him for RuPaul's Drag Race as a choreographer and guest judge. So that was that, um, that whole thing. And he did a movie called uh, When the Beat Drops. And he's got this long list of credits as a choreographer and working on those things to go all the way back. And Kay Martinez is the animation reference consultant. And she's done a whole bunch of things too. And she brings a Colombian cultural background for this. Although she's a, a, a Colombian American, um, she mm-hmm. has really, to me, represented her culture on film. And, I, and I've heard good things about this from Colombians who've said that, mm-hmm. yeah, they feel really represented by this, the everything in it, it gets the culture. And perhaps that's in the same way that. Um, Shang-Chi did with its... Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, it feels it, authentic. Yeah, it feels very authentic. And that's good. This is what we need. Representation counts. So this has got, look, everybody in it as well. And <laughs> I thought I'd play you one of the tracks right now from it. And like I said, you've probably already heard all of these things. And I think they're great songs. And this is called Waiting on a Miracle. Now, just to give you a quick take on part of the movie it is a superhero movie about a family of gifted individuals they get i did not realize that they get a Mm. gift i call it a superhero movie their powers they're empowered by magic and that that makes no difference you know magic or Mm. pseudoscience as we often have in superhero movies and uh one of the characters here is singing about the fact that she does not have a gift she does. Mm. She thinks that she doesn't have a superpower, but of course, being a Disney movie, she has her own special powers. And so here we go. And I'll tell you about who's singing this after we've played the song. It's called "Waiting on a Miracle." This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past two thousand AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. Waiting on a miracle. In case you missed the lyric <laughs> from the Encanto soundtrack. Big, big song, you know, for a big, big movie, actually. And, yeah, it is a Disney Plus movie, and you can tell that it's an animated movie. Yeah. And now, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the songs for the eight songs for this movie, including that one. And I only today, I was zero days old <laughs> when I <laughs> discovered that Miranda appeared in a role on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, playing Amy Santiago's brother. Ah, I don't think I remember that episode. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I thought, oh, that's so great, considering that the song that we just heard was sung by Stephanie Beatrix, who played, of course, uh, Detective um, Rosa Diaz in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the very (laughs) hard-charging Rosa Diaz. You know. Did not know she had such good singing chops. I have seen interviews where she talks in what, you know, her day-to-day voice and she puts on sort of a lower tenor for Rosa. Yeah. And so, yeah, and then she's come out and can she's got a good voice. Yeah. Well, she played um, uh, Carla in uh, Miranda's um, uh, Into the Heights. Mm. Oh, I haven't seen. Okay, yeah, I yeah. missed out on that one. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, I mean... You'd obviously just crumble into into dust if she turned that piercing glare upon you from Brooklyn Nine Nine. 
and but at least she could serenade you as you go. So it's a great thing. So to give you a, a quick rundown of the plot of Encanto, uh, well, okay, it's about refugees, essentially, fleeing from, look, it could be any con- conflict in Colombia, but it's kind of, because they're trying for a timeless sort of thing like many musicals, but it is kind of more to the point riffing off the Thousand Days War in Colombia where uh, that's a civil war that they fought in the late 1890s to the early 20th century. You know, but it is all wars in all times. And there's a group of, of refugees from a, a village who flee across the river. Uh, one of their party makes the ultimate sacrifice and the emotional storm stirred up by that because he has a family and there are surviving family members, creates this magnificent village and a house for them out of basically whole cloth and this enchanted refuge is going to be the home for generations of people who are descended from the original survivors and this is a charming idea Uh, there is a magic candle involved there always seems to be a magic candle lovely <laughs> and in fact that, classic disney trope that song that um we just heard actually does reference in form the uh the original meeting between um bell and the beast in the beauty and the beast movie mm-hmm. they're going for that mm-hmm. sort of introductory yep. song and this whole idea of a, a fictional house or a, a, a castile a, a castle sort of thing um they're also referencing – this is a pretty deep movie. I was doing the the, the, mm. the, um, the dive into the background. Uh, Garcia Marquez, great Colombian writer, known for magic realism. I've never really yes. – I've never really got the magic realism term. To me, it's just another aspect of fantasy, but you yeah. bolt it onto a more realistic sort of framework. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. and have one or two elements sitting on top of it. But he's known for 100 years of solitude, um, yeah. which is pretty much the writer's life anyway. But this is a novel that's set in a fictitious town of Macondo, and it's very, very famous and, you know, mm-hmm. one of the great books of the world. Uh, you know, so it's that sort of element that we're dealing with in this house there's even a grandmother too in here as well so you know lots of elements from that seem to me to show up in this in this right film, including <laughs> um butterfly motifs which is very uh garcia sort of symbolic anyway so moving on from on from that and i was saying that um stephanie beatrice plays the voice of uh 15 year old mirabel madrigal uh more musical references there but she doesn't have the gift. Each of the mm. children in this family get a gift from the magic house. Right. She doesn't get it, or at least she thinks she hasn't. But, just, mm, but you know okay. she's going to turn out to be special in lots of all different sorts of ways. And I don't actually know. We were talking before about uh, Stephanie Beatrix and Beatrice, and, um, and I can't quite work out whether they've done this deliber- deliberately. The little girl has glasses. Mm-hmm. Stephanie does not wear the glasses in any of the many of the roles that she shows up in, but she is actually very astigmatic. So she actually does need glasses. Mm. And I'm wondering if they put them on here just for once, just to give her that. 
So, you know, I thought that was kind of a, a nice touch, but I could be totally wrong there. I'd be interesting to find out. So one mechanism driving this movie is the superhero powers acquired via the magical means. So you can actually look at all the characters in terms of that. Um, She does not have one, but she does have one because she's the driving force of the movie. She is, uh, you know, she talks to everybody else. She links all of the other characters together. She wants to help keep the house maintained but she has a sadness at her core because she is not, thinks she is not special oh i mean these are all classic tropes right oh, like yeah. we've heard this set up before i mean and that's fine it sounds like there's you know it's also still such a wonderful unique representation of kind of a classic disney origin story mm. <laughs> her, her uh, grandmother um abuela is played by maria cecilia botero uh she is a um uh, um, she was a native of Colombia as well. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to get at here is that they are trying as much as they can to be authentic yeah. with this yeah. film. Disney has obviously run into difficulties with that before. And mm. clearly somebody in management, probably lots of people in management have said, let's do this right. Mm. And and audiences don't, you know, I think they are held to account a lot more these days. Like representation is one thing, but people want to have that behind the camera and in the creative side and have people forming the stories from an authentic place. It's no good Jono from marketing being the white guy who writes the story that's meant to be around Colombian folklore. So I'm glad that there's more attention being paid. Yeah, this is not Mythic Quest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and obviously the... The, the one of the key relationships in this movie uh, is between the grandmother and her granddaughter. There is um, a very sense of it's interesting here. She would normally be some kind of um, bad person, you know, mm. and we've, we have seen them do that in Disney films with um, wicked godmothers and, you know, sure. all that sort of stuff. Um, and wicked mothers too. I, I think there was mm. a, um, was it Tangled? Uh, yeah, I think it was Tangled actually, where where there was gaslighting going on from from the um, the mother. And in this case, it's um, not nowhere near that um, that dark, but it does mean that they're not running into that trope of this is the villain. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. more that the circumstances of the of the magic will become kind of the villain if necessary. <laughs> so it's, it's a oh, little You're being very coy. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm trying not to get too too much into that. Although mm. probably everyone under the age of 15 has already seen this movie. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the it's latest just, frozen, uh, it's, I guess. This is me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, it's good. We can try not to reveal too much about the plot. I respect that. Mm. Her main power seems to be that she could communicate with the house a lot quicker and and she's the one who actually yeah. originated this whole thing too so you know yeah, quite sure. important uh john yeah. legazamo plays bruno madrigal um now he's um somebody we've seen before a lot especially in super mario brothers in 1993 the classic <laughs> yeah. film top of his filmography yeah i won't go look he's been in all sorts of things like this but has done a lot of um voice work for animated movies which is probably to the point here mm. and and i tell you he, his character does look like him a little bit you know it's like yeah i know who you are i think they try to do that right like inspire a bit of cross inspiration mm. anyway um 
in this he plays a character who's got sort of a prophetic nature, can see into the future a bit. And he has a special trait, which I won't reveal, but anyway. (laughs) Jessica Darrow plays Lucia. Now, her power is strength. She is hellaciously strong, you know, like Wonder Woman strong. And this causes her problems because she's afraid that she won't be strong enough. Oh, so she has her own difficulties there. And, of course, every time you run into a difficulty, there's a song. Yes, you've got to say it through song. Yeah, and we might keep her song for the end of today's show, I think. Anyway, uh, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of other characters in this, of course, who have their different powers. Like there's one who can uh, make flowers bloom on command and she can create them everywhere. And, of course, her difficulty is, she plays uh, Isabella, she has to be perfect and everybody Mm. expects her to be perfect. And she has a kind of a thinning, a problem with that. You know, there are some tropes running in here like Frozen, really, I I felt. Mm, I see. Like, and the magic is metaphor. Like, okay. Mm. I see. We also have, we have brothers and cousins and sisters who can do uh, shape-shifting, control the weather, not as well as they might, but they can do it. Uh, And, you know, there was this sort of thing. understand animals, which is very cute and provides opportunity to introduce some very, I'm sure, marketable merchandise like um, baby jaguars and a a, a toucan with a very colourful beak and, you know, the whole sort of thing. Actually, I have no idea why, but Alan Tudyk is playing the toucan in this. I have no idea why because he's just making toucan noises. (laughs) And I love that he's, yeah, okay. All right, why not? I mean, I'm sure he did a great job. Oh, yes, he's very, if anyone can, too can. There's, like I was saying, the the animation in here is exquisite. Uh, Mm. You know, now I don't know whether or not they did motion control. I don't think they did Mm -hmm. uh, or whatever you would call that. What what would we go with that in animation? Rotoscoping, actually. Um, But they did shoot live action. And, okay. and as references for this. But it is amazing and it's mm. spot on for the dancing and full of character. And I was watching this thinking, is this, a, is this the most incredible evocative ama- animation I've ever seen? It's pretty damn mm-hmm. close to it. I felt yeah. watching this movie as moved quite literally. You know, you can't sit there and not bop along to this. Yeah, as a Miyazaki movie, you know, Studio Ghibli, it's, it's, it had a huge impact on me watching this. And yeah. and at the moment, look, okay, all right, I'm a sucker for a, a happy story at the moment, mm. something a bit lively. I mean, this is what you need, a tonic in a pandemic, really. And in another character I should mention is that the house itself is a character with all of that, what you come to expect. As It's yeah. as if Howl's Moving Castle wasn't actually moving. Oh. Okay, I like it. I like it. Yep. Is there? So I'm curious. Uh, is there a love story element, or is that something we don't want to? Because you know, it's either a growth story, but generally there's always some maybe introduction of the romance, or are we just going straight up independent coming of age? Independent coming of age, but there is romance in this film. 
because she has lots of sisters. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. So there's elements of, but not the core story. I love that. I think that it's about family. It's about finding yourself. Oh, okay, cool. It is so much about family, but it's also about healing and donkey unicorns, <laughs> which made me laugh. And the, and I was talking about the animation. The fabric animation is incredible. Mm. You know, lots of swirling skirts and lace. And I just thought this stuff has really come of age as an art form. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, you know, and I do, I do think a couple of times when the character narrows her eyes just a little bit, you can see Rosa Diaz just, <laughs> just there in in this. I, I just was knocked out by this film. Look, there, there's very tropic, and you could go through if you were a, a Grinch, you could go through and just go, mm. "Oh yes, I've seen some of these tropes, most of them before." Mm. But that's just my being miserly. Yeah. You know. I, it's called Encanto. It's on Disney Plus streaming. It is a hell of a film. If you liked Coco, if you liked The Book of Life, this one's for you. And I'm going to have to get the soundtrack album to this to add add to the collection. Oh, you really loved this. I did. It just lifted me up. It sounds like a good one to add to the list if you're feeling a little bit down or like a bit, you know, low energy at the start of the year. Yeah. Maybe add this to the list, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that's about it for Zero G for today. We will go out with a song called Surface Pressure, Mm -hmm. and this is sung by the actress who provides the voice, Jessica Darrow, who's got a lot of voice acting credits as well as some uh, live-action ones too. And Surface Pressure is describing what the uh, Lucia character feels. She's the strong woman mm-hmm. and she is vulnerable because she thinks that she's not going to be strong enough. Mm, oh, we've all yeah. felt that. All the feels. Mm-hmm. This movie has every <laughs> every feel that you can possibly have. And it switches genre a couple of times. At one stage I'm thinking, what is this? Am I watching Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. You've piqued my interest for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, if I I do warn you, just um, be aware that with animated movies, when you show them on your television set, it really gives it a workout. Yeah. The the color in it. In fact, that's Mm. why they use animated movies in showrooms when they're trying to sell you a television set. You know, they'll flog you the very best on, Mm. on this idea. And wow. I thought, yeah, okay, my eyes have had a, a pretty good sort of, I don't know, Technicolor Pilates <laughs> workout after this one. All right, noted, noted. Mm. Okay, so in, in uh, zero G terms of yeah, nah, maybe, it is just entirely a yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And mm-hmm. thank you to our podcaster, Kayla Larson. Although, as I have been warning, it's me at the moment doing the podcasting. So any mistakes and glitches entirely upon me. <laughs> thank you to Megan McHugh. Thank you, Rob Jen. Ooh, off we go with a, a song and a dance in our heart. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.